re the reading is found on page 204, 1 Samuel 18, 5 to 16. Whatever Paul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul had him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. We have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can I get out can I get but the kingdom? No, sorry, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how su successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shirley. Father, I pray this morning as we continue to study the life of David, that great man after your own heart, I pray that we might un understand what we need to do, that we might be men and women after your own heart as well. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you measure greatness? That's always an interesting thing, to come up with some sort of scale. Has it got to do with how much money you've got in your bank? Can it be determined by the car you drive or the size of your house? or your status level in, in life? Is true greatness recognized by all the things that you achieve? For instance, if an actor wins an Oscar, have they achieved greatness? If an athlete topples all the outstanding records, have they achieved greatness? If someone has done what no one else is able to do before, have they achieved greatness? Now, sometimes you'd say, yeah, they're, they're pretty great at what they're doing. But I have a sneaking suspicion that God would say, no. I think God would say that true greatness is not measured by what you achieve in life, but how you live your life. Now listen to what God says about Job. This is interesting. In Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil. There you go. There's a measure of greatness according to God. 
And we can see this principle of greatness fleshed out in the life of David. In this passage, which was read for us this morning, David is still a young lad. He's, he's fresh from his first battle. And he's already achieved what so few people have achieved in, in their lives. Achieve, David's already achieved true greatness. And I want to take this text this morning and share with you a few observations about the life of David and share and, and reveal also how we can have a life that's going to be like David. So I want to preach about you know, being in the presence of true, of true greatness. So my first, my first point this morning is the presentation of David's life because there are three times in this chapter that David, it says that David achieves great success. It's interesting when you look at that in the Hebrew though, that whole phrase that achieved great success refers to someone walking properly. That's what it says. It refers to a person who knows how to carry themselves. Now that speaks of more than just manners. It speaks of a person who watches what they say, what they do, and how they act because they know that they are being watched. So it's the idea of walking accurately and carefully, as if you were navigating a minefield. That's the picture we really need to have in mind. And that's the kind of walk every single one of us is called to exhibit. In, in Philippians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. So in this text this morning, which we've read, we see there are three areas where, where David is accurately and carefully walking. In verse 5, let's have a look. What does it say in verse 5? It says, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did so successfully. So successfully that Saul gave him the high rank in the army. This pleased the people and Saul's officers as well. So David, he's behaving himself well in spite of life's promotions. David has just defeated Goliath. He continues to prove himself to be faithful, loyal subject to King Saul. He does this day by day. David doesn't allow the victory over the Philistine to go to his head. And David knew he was climbing to the top but he's willing to take that climb one step at a time. Because remember, Samuel has already anointed him as the king of Israel. He knows the throne belongs to him. Yet he continues to serve the current king, Saul. I think there's always a danger when we see some measure of success in our own walk with the Lord. When God allows us to see a victory or two, we need to be aware that pride can come so very quickly. And that's a snare in our lives. And pride is a way of telling us that we're actually greater than we actually are. That's what pride does. We need to be very careful. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. 1 Corinthians 10 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. So brothers and sisters, when things are happening, it's all, you know, I think, oh yeah, it's happening now, I've got it, I'm in tune. Be careful. So David behaved himself well in spite of life's promotions. He also behaved himself well in spite of life's problems. You have a look at verse uh, 14. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. That's fascinating because just before this, Saul's tried to kill him. So what's happening here is that David's behaving himself in spite of life's problems. In spite of the fact that Saul has just tried to nail him to the wall with a big spear. Now think about this for a moment. Right? This bloke's got a spear and he's got a bad temper and an evil spirit. 
and all you've got is a harp, David still carried himself the right way. David could have become bitter. He could have become overcome with a desire for revenge. Instead, David continues to carry himself well and to set a good example. Now, often I think, brothers and sisters, that it's the, it's the problems of life that, that set us off course. You know, they throw us off course. Some expected calamity will blindside us, and, and we're down and out before we know it. And a sign of true greatness in one's faith is the ability to continue to walk the right way and to take the right path, even when things are not going well in your life. Let's turn back to Job for a second. And that was a bloke who had some issues. Things happened to him. What's happened here with Job is this is still this is still the first chapter of the book of Job. You know, God has just said, "Oh, have you considered this fantastic, blameless, upright bloke who fears God, shuns evil?" And so, yeah, all right, let's have a go. Satan gets rid of all of his servants and all of his wealth, kills his children, and what does Job do? Verses 20, 21. At this, when Job hears that his children are, just, are dead, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell on the ground in worship, and said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. There's a huge lesson for us to learn, isn't there? In spite of life's problems, Job carried himself well. Well, in spite of life's problems, David did the same thing. He carried himself well. Go back to Samuel again. Chapter 18, verse 30. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle as, as they often did. And David met with more success. Then the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well. Then the rest of Saul's office, officers, my tongue's going faster than my brain. Or the other way around, I don't know what. And his name became well known. It's interesting that David is behaving himself well here in spite of life's possibilities. Because David, through the providence of God, has become far more popular than King Saul. Let's face it, this would be the time, wouldn't you think? Okay, now's the time for the coup. You know, the, the army's behind me, the people are behind me, let's get rid of this king, he's worthless. And David's married into Saul's family, he's been blessed, he's prospered greatly in Israel. He's in the position now to attempt to overthrow the king. After all, he is the anointed king, he knows this belongs to him. But instead of trying to elevate himself... David is content to wait on the Lord. David continues to carry himself well in spite of the opportunity to promote himself. I think there's a big lesson for us here. We need to be very careful when it seems like we're on the way up because often people have a tendency to blow their own horn, don't they? Oh, you should listen to me. Look at my life, how terrific I am. Look at the things I've done. But if we're wise, if we're walking properly, we'll leave the horn tooting to God. That's his job. He knows where we are. He knows how to elevate us in his time. Our duty is to live for him and to make a proper presentation of our lives before others for God's glory. So David might have been a young man, but he set a kind of example that we all need to follow. He lived a wise, balanced life for the glory of God. He lived a life that honored God. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in living that kind of life too. A life that honors God. That's something that's worth living for. Let's have a look now at the priorities of David's life. Next point. Because another example of the greatness of David's young life is the priorities he exhibited. Now, these, these, are, not, these are not easy days for David, okay? He's been uprooted from his home. He's found instant fame from killing Goliath. 
and he's found a bitter enemy in the person of King Saul. And still David remains faithful to all of his priorities. He carries on his assignments in spite of the difficulties he faces. And now notice how, how David demonstrates the faithfulness in the priorities of his life. First of all, David was surrendered. King David, oh, sorry, not yet king, but David, the anointed king, knew that the king, the present king, was against him. He knew that he was going to try and kill him. And yet despite that, David walks into the throne room with his harp and plays his music. He had a job to do and he did it faithfully. Even though he knew Saul had an evil spirit and Saul was going to try and kill him with that spear more than once. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can walk into a room and play a harp with a bloke with a spear who's got a bad temper. I really don't. David was surrendered. And David was also steadfast because in his, in, his, in his hatred, Saul attempted to kill David. And notice the phrase, but David eluded him twice. He's too quick. He got out of the way of that big spear. I think it would have finished me up. I would have turned in my, resi my resignation and gone back to looking after the sheep. I think that's a better thing to do. But not David. He was steadfast. Even though Saul tried to kill him, David intended to go back to his post and continue doing his job that he'd been assigned to do. So he surrendered, he's steadfast, and David was also submissive. Even after Saul attempts to take his life, David keeps on serving the evil king. David took each one of his new assignments, he carried it on to the best of his abilities. I just can't believe it, that a man would live that way. Yet he does. He's a man after God's own heart. So in the we see that David sets a good example for each one of us. And often the difference between an average Christian and a great Christian comes down to a simple matter of the priorities you have in life. David had his priorities sorted out. He was going to be faithful despite anything else. He was going to be submissive. He was going to be surrendered. He was going to be steadfast. You see, it's the things that we that attach value to that determine the priorities in life. Everything in our lives is touched by that kind of principle. For example... Your church attendance, that's determined by the priorities you have in life, isn't it? Your prayer life, the same way. Your Bible reading, exactly the same. You're sharing your faith with others, that's determined by your priorities. If you think it's important, you'll do it. If you don't, well, you'll be quiet. You do what you think is important. And David's standard of living is one from which we can all take a lesson. Because at some point, David had determined to be faithful in spite of persecution, in spite of trouble, in spite of difficulty. He made up his mind. He was going to serve no matter what. He was surrendered. He was steadfast. He was submissive to this king, regardless of what took place in his life. That's how we all should be, every single one of us. In fact, this is God's will for each of his children. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There you go. There's the priority we should each one have in our lives. But aren't we guilty of allowing everything in the world to hinder our walk with and the faithfulness to the things of God? We need to make up our mind. God has got to be first place in each of our lives. We're going to be steadfast there. We're going to serve Him in the way He, des he deserves to be served. Because if we're not serving God the way He deserves to be served, we're going to have trouble in all different areas of our lives. So 
let's move on a bit. Let's have a look at the perception of David's life. David's greatness can be seen in how he was perceived by the people around him and how he perceived himself. Look at verse 7 to 9. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry, this refrain, galled him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? From that time on, he kept a jealous eye on David. Have a look at verse 15 then. See what that one says. When Saul saw how successful he was, he became afraid of him. Have a look at verse 29. Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. This is the private perception of David's life. This is how King Saul perceives David. And Saul hated David. He wanted David dead. When he looked at David, he looked at him through jealous eyes. He saw a young man who was everything that he himself was not. He saw a young man who walked with God. He saw a young man who carried himself well. He saw a young man who was ambitious, who was faithful, and yet he was clean in every respect of his life. And Saul hated him because of it. Saul hated David so much he tried to kill him by, with his own hand. And when that didn't work, he tried it through deceit. He said, okay, listen here, David. I want the you know, four skins of a thousand Philistines, a hundred Philistines. He thought, okay, the Philistines will kill him instead. He's a big task for him to do. David was successful. Saul hated David. And Saul hated David because God was with David now. And he was no longer with Saul. He hated David because David walked with God. Isn't that interesting how that stirs up people? Do you find that too? When the, the non-Christian world recognizes who you are and what you do and how you serve your God, you find they start to look down sometimes and they have a go at you. So that was the private perception of David's life. But let's have a look at the public perception of David's life, how the people of Israel perceived David. Because Saul's private perception of David was one thing, but the public perception of David's life was altogether different. Because the people, Saul's servants, the people in the king's palace, they saw how David carried himself, and they were impressed with David. And Saul's subjects were exactly the same. Have a look at verse 16. All Israel and Judah loved David, because he led them in their campaigns. Not only did he lead them, he led them successfully in their campaigns. And all the people, they saw God's hand on David's life and they were impressed with him. And even, in the fascinating thing is that Saul's son, Jonathan, have a look at chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. This is fascinating. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and he did not let him return to his father's house and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is fascinating because this is Jonathan, the son of Saul. Jonathan is the one who should inherit the throne. Yet he loves David so much. He sees something in David that is so incredibly special that he hands over his sword, his bow, everything. He says, I will serve you. That's incredible because he knows that David's going to take the throne. Amazing how that happens. Saul's daughter, she falls in love with David. Michelle, she, she's in love with David. 
after Saul's son and daughter. He's Saul's own children. They love David. There's something in his life that touches them. That's a powerful life, isn't it? That's an incredible life that will draw people so much to them. So that's the public perception of David's life. So we've seen the private perception, which is King Saul hates him. The public, they love him. How does David see himself, though? What's the personal perception of David's life? How does David see what's going on? The only person in Israel who seems to be unaware of David's greatness is David. When it's mentioned that he might become the king's son-in-law, David speaks about his own unworthiness. Have a look at verses 17 and 23. Saul says to David, Here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. But Saul said to himself, I'll not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. So Saul already trying to trick him again, not to get him killed. But David says to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So <laughs> he understands. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing, really. Even though he's the anointed, he's supposed to become the king of Israel. He's not nearly impressed with himself as others are. And I think this is one of the most powerful secrets to obtaining greatness. The person who possesses true greatness will be the last one to know it. All around of us, there are plenty of people who want us to know how great they are. They're always talking about themselves, their achievements. They're constantly elevating themselves, exalting themselves above others. I can think of a president or two. But the only true great person, the only truly great person is never in the business of lifting up their own name or promoting their own fame. In fact, they're amazed when others lift them up. They're going like, what are you talking about? I'm just doing my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. Well, why are you thinking I'm great? The Apostle Paul was like that. He says, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to be commended by you, for I'm not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I'm nothing, says Paul. Oh, when you read Paul's writing and you, and you look at his life, you go like, this was a great man. Yet he thought of himself in the right perspective. Sit down. I'm just a garden variety human being like the rest of us. The Bible has something to say about the matter of self-perception. Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else but not your own lips. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So the person who needs to toot his own horn to get attention is not a wise person according to the Bible. <coughs> It's far better to let the Lord exalt you in his time than for us to be in the business of exalting ourselves. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. But that's where we need to get our approval. Is God approving our lives? We need to be asking ourselves that question and seeking that, God's approval. In fact, I think it's... From personal experience, it's really unwise to listen to what other people are saying about you. Because one day they'll love you, and the next day they turn on you like a rabid dog. We've all had that experience, I'm quite sure. Eh? Don't listen to what others are saying about you, really. Let God do the exalting. Well, let's move on to the next point. The power of David's life. David presented himself the right way. He had priorities in the right order. He had a proper perception of his own life because things were in order between him and God. All of the things that were possible in David's life were because the relationship he had between himself and God was right. He had it sorted out. And when you get right down to it, a right relationship with the Lord is the first, most essential step on the path 
to greatness in life. Let's have a look at David's relationship with the Lord. David was in a, in a faith relationship with the, with the Lord. He's able to say in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he's saying, God is my personal shepherd. I know him so well that I will not be living in want in this life. He knew God in a personal way. His faith was not based on what his parents knew. He didn't worship God vicariously through Samuel the prophet. David knew God personally. And that made all the difference in his life. A personal relationship with God. Secondly, David's resources were in the Lord. It's said in the Bible that God was with him. David was able to do all that he did because God was with him. He had favor with man because God was with him. He had humility and grace in his life because God was with him. Brothers and sisters, here's something we really need to understand. The first thing. If you want to be great... In this life, the first step is to be found in your relationship with God. Salvation, now being saved, being in that right relationship with God is the key ingredient. You might amass a fortune. You might achieve fame and status among men. Your name might be a household word. But if you are not saved by the grace of God, you will be nothing. Simple as that. Because when life ends... And we all know that it will. What do you have? Nothing. You stand before God and you be cast out of His presence. There's an eternity in a place called hell. Forever without God. So true greatness is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are people in this world, in fact, I'd say there's probably a few people in this room today, you're not famous, you never will be, but... You are leaving a legacy of greatness. Let me encourage you. Even if you think you're a little person, you are leaving a legacy of greatness. Why? You know the Lord, and He's at work in you and through you. You have influence on other people. And because of that, God is doing great things through you. Others have passed this way who are not great in the eyes of men, but they've left their mark on this church and on your lives. Why? Because they knew the Lord and He used them for great things. The greatest thing you can do in this life is have influence on another human being. Influencing them for God. So don't worry about getting your name in lights. Don't worry about grabbing the headlines. Don't worry about being known by men. The best thing in life is living for Jesus and allowing to live, Him to live through you and make an impact on this world. True greatness is knowing Jesus Christ as your Saviour and your Lord and living your life out for Him. Every single person in this room can be a great person if we live our lives that way. You see, David's life was truly great, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. The same is true of your life and mine. True greatness is not in the things we do, it's found in who we are and the one whom we know, our God. If you want to live a life and leave a legacy of true greatness, the essential step is to make sure that you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Then behave yourself well, establish the right priorities, and live by them. Have a proper perception of who you are. And when life is lived in that framework, true greatness will be attained. We'll hear those words in the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is what's
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray and to have heard your word. We ask that you'll work it deep into our lives, into our spirits, that we might be great men and women for you because we look forward to hearing the acclamation that you will give on that last day. May we live for your glory, we pray, in Jesus' name. One more hymn as we close the service. The hymn number 460. Lead on, O King Eternal. Amen.